of my favorite authors is a man by the name of Ajith Fernando. He writes out of Sri Lanka. He's a great scholar. He's written a number of books, uh, incredible commentary on the book of Acts. A very brilliant man. But what I love about Ajith is that he's not just living in ivory tower. He is not just an author. He is, he's got his skin, skin in the game. He is doing ministry each and every day at, for 35 years as the national director of Youth for Christ in the nation of Sri Lanka, which is a very difficult place to minister. The government is in opposition to Christianity. It's a hard place to be. We've got a, a team going to Sri Lanka, a mission team, leaving next week for Sri Lanka. But Ajith, we had him speak at my last church, and I had a chance to spend some time with him. And we began talking about marriage, and in the conversation, he mentioned that in Sri Lanka, all the marriages are arranged by the parents. And I remember thinking, well, that's not going to end well. I don't know about you, but I didn't want my parents selecting my spouse. But after, after I became a parent, I got to tell you, I kind of saw the wisdom behind it. <laughs> but when, as a, um, I said to him, I said, well, it must lead to a lot of problems. He said, actually, quite the opposite. He said that Sri Lanka at that time, and I believe still today, has the lowest divorce rate of any country in the world. Now, I think there are other reasons for it, but I asked him, I said, why is that? I mean, I, it, really, it really surprised me. He said, because in Sri Lanka, people enter marriage knowing that they are committed for life. They don't even entertain the idea of divorce. It's not even an option on the table for them. And so, what happens over time is they learn to love one another, they learn to be committed to one another, and they end up, most of them, having a very wonderful marriage. And then he shared with me about his own marriage. He said when he first met his wife, there were no sparks. There were no fireworks. So he meets his wife, they get married, but he said we were committed. And through that commit, uh, commitment, they learned to love one another. They learned that love is more than just these sparks, just this, what we call in our culture today, soulmate, or the, our feelings. It's more than all of that. And he said, I have learned to love my wife in such a way that I can't imagine being married to anyone else. I remember when, I, when he sa said that to me, it really surprised me. And as I thought about that, I began to think, maybe Maybe marriage is more than what we think it is in the American culture. We're continuing a series this morning called Questions Worth Asking. And one of the questions that was submitted by the congregation based on questions we received from the congregation, one of the questions was, what is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? And I want to suggest, and I'm going to talk about marriage this week and next week, but I want to suggest that when we talk about the purpose of marriage, I want you to think about this question. What if, what if there was a purpose beyond just your being happy? What if there was a purpose that was even more profound, even deeper? A purpose that brought transformation to your life and to your marriage. What if there was a purpose beyond that? Now, certainly we read the scriptures. The purpose of marriage is to bring joy to God's people. And definitely 
for many of us, that has been the experience, bringing joy to our lives, bringing joy to our hearts. We see the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. We see many different passages that elevate marriage and hold marriage in honor. But I think in our American culture, we are so committed to being happy and we are so driven by our emotions that if we're not feeling in love, we assume we're not in love. And that's a danger, dangerous place to be. And I think it's one of the reasons we have one of the highest divorce rates in the world as a culture. I want to share with you, there are many purposes in marriage. I want to share with you two other purposes that maybe you've not thought of before. And when you understand these, it will deepen your commitment. And I want to say to you this morning, no matter where your marriage is, no matter where your marriage is, if you deepen in your commitment to one another, the sparks will fly, the fireworks come. But the reality is you will learn to love one another in a way and stand with one another in a way you never imagined. And the intimacy that you long for is there. And so I'm going to very quickly this morning, I'm going to talk about two purposes for marriage that we don't talk much about. Here's the, uh, but before I want to just give you this real quick, an underlying principle what we're talking about is that there is a deeper purpose. You know, when Jesus said this, he said, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. There is no marriage in heaven. So what does that mean for us if marriage is just for a lifetime? Well, it means that God is doing something in us and for us and through us in this lifetime, and marriage, for many of us, is a part of that process. Now, if you're single or called to singleness, I'm going to end with that. Because you don't need this. God will provide for you. But marriage is a prime, one primary way that God does an incredible work in us. And here's the first one. Here's the first one I want you to see. And that is, in marriage, we better understand the oneness that God desires that we have with him. The oneness that God desires that we have with him. In marriage, the two become one flesh. In marriage, God brings two lives and he makes them one. God does that. And when God does that, when God does that, we become united. And then Paul says this in, in Ephesians 5, 32. He says, this is a profound mystery. Now, we don't know if he's talking about the two, a husband and wife becoming one, or if he's talking about the fact that this is, he's talking about Christ in the church. But it doesn't matter. The mystery here is this. Jesus talks about, as we saw in our last series, or the series um, on John that we did up to Easter, we talked a lot about how Jesus said that because of what he did for us on the cross, because of his death, because of his resurrection, here's what happened. The Holy Spirit now comes to live with us, and Jesus said, now I am in the Father, and you who believe are in me, and I am in you. There's this incredible reality, as we talked about in the challenges that we just 
brought to Catherine and Andrew. This incredible reality where the power of the resurrection is in us because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. There is a melding together that happens at faith and as we grow into this reality. And it's not unlike, Paul says, the profound mystery of how God brings a husband and wife and he makes them one. Now, this, this passage, it says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. If you're a note taker, right in there, cemented. That's what it means. That God cements us together. That God bonds us together. Now, when my children were growing up, I wanted them to understand the reality of this, what this means in the eyes of God. For God says, I hate divorce. And I think one of the reasons that he hates divorce is the damage that it does to his people. And if you've been through that, or you know people who've been through that, you know the pain. There's always pain. There's always hurt. And God hates divorce, but I think also, there's this reality that we've entered into a sacred covenant in which the two have become one, and they're not easily separated. We're one emotionally, we're one physically, we're one spiritually, and that reality is not easily divided, it's not easily separated. And so he talks about bonding. So what I did with my children when they were young, or in high school, I gave them an illustration of this. I took two pieces of paper. I cemented them together, and then I tried to separate them. What happens? It rips, it shreds, it tears. And if you've been through a divorce, you know that reality. You are taking two lives that are one, and you're ripping them apart, and it's painful, and it's difficult, and it's challenging. When people tell me divorce is what's best, it depends on the circumstances, but 99% of the time I tell them, no, it's not. If you think divorce is going to be painless, you are wrong. It's painful. It's hard. So having said that, what would it look like if we understood that our oneness in our marriage commitment is to reflect the oneness that we have with Christ? That changes the whole ballgame. I think differently about marriage. It's not about my feelings. It's not about my soulmate. It's about a commitment that I have made. And so let me share with you the second major purpose that I want you to see this morning. And that is through marriage, Jesus, the Holy Spirit transforms us, changes us into the image of Jesus. I have never seen, experienced in my life a relationship that more, more challenged me and conformed me than the relationship of marriage. And I married way over my head. But all marriages are going to have, they're going to rub against each other. There's going to be friction created by the differences that we have and other reasons. But let me, let me share this with you. We see this. For, um, and who all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It is God, by his Spirit, that is at work in every believer to transform us into the image of Jesus. Now, that means we become more loving, more patient, more kind, more faithful. 
It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the work of God in our lives by the Holy Spirit is transforming us. Now, when I was uh, first married Beth, I knew that I was incredibly lucky. And I know many of you have thought that too. I was incredibly blessed by God to marry her. But to be honest with you, I thought I was a pretty good catch. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm not that great to look at, but I have, I love God. I love the Lord. I I, I love to have fun. I'm kind and all these wonderful things. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. So, I can't tell them about personality. I won't. Okay, real quick. Um, so, no, I'm not going to do that. So, anyways, I promise to tell you one day when we have more time. But when we got married, all of a sudden, I started bouncing off of her. All of a sudden, I saw things that were always been true to, for me, but I had never recognized before. You see, when you're in that close a relationship, all of a sudden things start, you start to see things you didn't see before. I started to see how selfish I am. I started to see how manipulative I can be. I saw something I never thought I would see in me that I was controlling. I never thought I was controlling. I saw my pride. I would never told you I was prideful. But when you're in a relationship like this, we are that connected together, you begin to bounce off the other person and you begin to see things that are true about you. I began to see these things and I knew that God had a lot of work to do. It was funny because after, I think it was about six months into our marriage that I recognized these things. And then we had, we were living in the church intern house, which was about 750 square feet. To get from, to get from to the bathroom, you had to turn sideways between the bed and the dresser to get into the bathroom. I mean, this was a tiny house. There was this much of a gap on the front, bottom of the front door so that in the winter, in the mornings, we had ice on the inside of the windows. It was a grand place. But we had this tiny little bathroom, and above the mirror was a nice little 30-watt bulb. That was good for me. That's all I wanted to see. And one day, without me knowing, Beth changed it to a 100-watt bulb. I'm standing in front of the mirror, I flip on the light, and I saw things I never wanted to see. (laughs) Now, I understand why she did it, because she's beautiful. There are things that I just didn't want to see. And I realized in that moment that that's true about my character. There are things I didn't want to see. And I had a decision to make. Am I going to be honest about this and deal with these things? which has been a process that began six months into marriage, and I've grown a lot, but I'm still growing. But I want to share with you just very quickly 
Just a few areas where God in marriage will deepen you in Christ. Here's the first one. In marriage, we practice the joy of commitment. This is a passage I read for every wedding I do. After they say their vows to each other, which I make them right, I read this passage. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. It talks about the seriousness of a vow. I take those vows, and I cut them out, and I put them on the inside cover of a couple's devotional Bible. And I say to them, at least once a year, you need to look at the commitment you made to your spouse on your wedding day, and you have to ask the question honestly before God, not evaluating the other person, evaluating yourself, how am I doing at fulfilling the vows, the commitments I made on my wedding day? How am I doing? If you don't know where your vows are or can't remember your vows, because for a lot of us, uh, the vows were prepared by the pastor who married us, I don't want that. It's their marriage. I want them to decide what their marriage is supposed to be about. I want them to decide how, what kind of marriage they want to have. And I work with them in that process. But it's their marriage, not my marriage. It's their marriage. And the, the, I'm not making the vows. They're making the vows. I would encourage you, if you don't know what your vows are and you're married, I would encourage you to write new vows together. To say, this is what I want our, our marriage to be. And to keep that in a place where you can evaluate yourself, not the other person, but yourself. Here's a second thing I want you to see. In marriage, we practice the joy of selfless love. Selfless love. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, God in human flesh, did not come to be served, but to serve. Men and women, we are called to serve our spouse. Now, you might say, but they're not serving me. They're not serving me. And I will tell you, that's not an excuse. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not die for the holy. He did not die for the obedient. He did not die for the ones that were uh, holy in his sight, righteous in his sight. He died for you and me who are sinners who have rebelled against him. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet rebelling against him, Christ Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us. He served us even when we didn't deserve it. Now, I'm not saying be abused in your marriage. If, if you're the one always serving, the other one's not serving it's appropriate to say something. It's appropriate to challenge. But we got to stop playing the tit-for-tat game. I'll give you this if you give me that. We, we treat marriage as if it's transactional. I'll do this for you if you do that for me. Friends, that is not what biblical marriage is all about. We are one together, as we'll see next week. We'll see more deeply what that means. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, be served, but to serve. What would it look like to serve your spouse? What do they most need from you? 
Are you seeking to provide it? Are you willing to give up what you want for yourself, to give to your spouse what it is that God wants for them? Here's another area. In marriage, we practice the joy of perseverance. They are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let what? What does it say? Say it again. No one separate. We do not take marriage seriously as a culture. I think a lot of people's vows are, should say something like this, I will love you and serve you until someone better comes along. I will love you and serve you until I meet my real soulmate. I will love you and serve you as long as I feel like loving and serving you. Praise God that when Jesus was, was um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, just broken with the idea of going to the cross, he still went to the cross. He didn't feel like dying for you and me. He chose to die for you and me. Friends, I've learned in my life, I can't trust my feelings. I can only trust the decisions that I have made. I cannot trust my feelings. My feelings do this for lots of reasons each and every day. I've got to, and I've got to wonder if when I have a cold and Beth is laying there next to me and, and I have snot coming out of my nose and I'm drooling down my cheek and I'm snoring like a chainsaw. I don't think she's probably thinking, wow, what a lucky woman. <laughs> but she's committed. She's committed. Divorce has never been on the table in our marriage. It's not always been easy. I'm not the easiest person in the world. Apparently, I'm a little quirky. But you know what? She's committed. I'm committed. And through that commitment, we begin to experience the joy of marriage. We read on, and we see in marriage, we practice the joy of forgiveness and grace. I forgive, and I ask for forgiveness. I love this passage in Colossians 3. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive Here's the standard as what? The Lord forgives you. That's the standard. I forgive as the Lord has forgiven me. What has the Lord forgiven me? Everything. I forgive. Now that's, sometimes it's a process. And one of the challenges of a sermon like this is I can't dig deep into each point. But it's a, sometimes it's a process. Sometimes you just have to decide. Your emotions say, I don't want to forgive but you just decide, I'm going to forgive, and you live into that decision, and usually what happens is the heart follows. We forgive because God calls us to forgive one another. And there's no place that you're going to practice that more than in the covenant of marriage. Am I right? Marriage is a great gift. It's joyful, but when you've got two people that are that close together, there's going to be op opportunities to forgive and to re receive forgiveness. How often do you say, honey, forgive me? Forgive me. I just was frustrated and I shouldn't have said that. Honey, forgive me. I haven't been paying attention to what you need. Honey, forgive me. You fill in the blank. What would that look like? And then I'm going to finish with this. For some... God gives the gift of singleness. For some of you, 
who are single here today, you will be married one day. You need to know these things. For others of you, God has called you to a life of singleness, which is a great gift of God. But for you, it might be a suffering. I get that, and we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. One of the things that we have been talking about as pastors on the staff is we want to be very careful with our language when we talk about being a family together. That includes children, that includes teenagers, that includes married adults, that includes single adults. You are part of this family. You have a place in this church. Listen to what Paul says, and if you're single and want to learn more about this, or married and want to learn more about this, read 1 Corinthians 7. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. The apostle Paul was not married. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What is he saying? He goes on to talk about how being single has enabled him to be more free to do ministry. Marriage is a great gift, friends, but we have to choose to live together according to God's design, not according to what is become our culture. In our culture today, marriages are disposable. As the people of God, we need to show the world that there's a better way. Will you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for your truth that challenges us. I pray, Lord, that you by your spirit would minister to each and every person who is here. Lord, those who are married, those who are single, those who are young, those who are old. Father, help us to understand what it is that you're wanting to do in our lives. In Jesus' name. And Lord, we also want to take a moment and pray for the middle school students who will be leaving tomorrow for a week of camp. Lord, do great things in their lives. Open their hearts to you. Lord, challenge them where they need to be challenged. Bless them where they need to be blessed. For your glory. Amen. Amen.